Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cisco Champions Radio. I'm Lauren Friedman, also known on the Twitters as Lauren, and I'm here with a full table of folks. So I'm going to kick it off asking folks, Simon, who are you? What do you do? I think the first thing I want to say is I don't think I've ever heard your microphone voice before. This is my, <laughs> it's been a long week and I'm a little tired voice. It'll yeah. get higher pitched and squeakier as we go. Were you screaming last night at the, at the concert? I actually had to fall asleep. I went to bed early. Oh, okay. You're like, not the only one. <laughs> I, like a dweeb. But anyways, go ahead. Who are you? What do you do? And all yeah. that good stuff. So um, my name's Simon Thompson uh, on Twitter at Meraki Simon. I look after a team at Meraki called Brand and Experience, but I've been working at Meraki for a super long time now and have a technical background. I looked after product marketing for a couple of years. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm here at the show basically having as many conversations as I can on as many Meraki-related topics as I can. Do you carry the branding with you, like as a hot poker thingy, or is it more like stickers and shirts? People get upset if you start branding them uh, with those things. Uh, it, you, it's... I find if you ask them first. Right, that's actually a good point. Yeah. I mean, normally we stick to things like stickers and, and, and swag t-shirts. And great products but, and all that. But perhaps but... a hot poker brand style yes. might, might be the answer for... Well, we can try that in Barcelona, maybe. All right, and this is how I got fired. Malcolm, who are you? What do you do? Uh, I'm Malcolm Budim. So I'm a network consultant and architect for a pharmaceutical company. And I'm a Cisco champion. So happy to be here and hear more about the Meraki camera. Did you bring any samples for me? Samples, no. From your pharmaceutical... Okay, I'll stop. Uh, we'll, talk, we'll talk offline. Yes! Matt, who are you? What do you do? Hi, my name is Matt DiNapoli. I'm a developer advocate with the DevNet program, and I focus specifically on the Meraki platform. Awesome. We love De- DevNet. George, what do you, who are you? What do you do again? I'm normally the guy in the hat, but because of the whole headphone situation, I can't actually wear one right now. But oh, I'm the product manager for camera systems at Meraki when I'm not wearing hats. And last but not least. Yes, hello. My name is Jonathan. I'm from Montreal, Canada. I work in one of the largest service providers over there, Bell Canada. And also I'm a proud member of Brother Gods. So thanks to them, I'm here today. And uh, Cisco champion. So hurrah. So Yay. I'm excited to, to get to learn more about Meraki and the camera and uh, everything about it. Awesome. See, people outside the booth are playing catch. It's kind of crazy. All right. Oh, wait, no. Sorry. Simon. What are we talking about today again? We're talking about Meraki. We're talking about DevNet. What else is going on in your life, man? Uh, Well, I think Meraki's had like all kinds of stuff happening this week, of course. Um, There have been a lot of people wandering around the world of solutions, trying out all of our different demos and earning their little stamps in the book so that they can get their swag. Uh, We have a vending machine with... um, with, okay, but uh, just quick reminder, this will be published way after Cisco Live, right, so we so don't need to... less it's contemporaneous Not, not in live nature. streaming. In fact, people don't actually care. What, okay, go on my left. Sorry. Fine. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. Um, yeah, well, we, we're, we're talking about all kinds of new stuff. We've recently uh, done a pretty big launch around Wi-Fi 6, which is huge for us, but also uh, want to mention, of course, the cameras. We have George here today. We should make most of that uh, with, with a very exciting... Uh, demo that we've been able to put together around the latest uh, member of the MV smart camera family. So George, uh, do you want to give us a quick introduction to what this thing is, smart cameras? It's a camera. <laughs> it's a camera. It's so much Thanks for listening, everybody. It doesn't, doesn't, we could call it the, records things, right? It records things. Yeah, okay. sort of like we're doing now. Um, essentially, 
The Meraki camera sort of portfolio is designed to be the simplest camera you could possibly deploy and use and primarily evolve from the need for customers to have a simple security camera. Uh, do any of you guys here have security camera systems as things you have to manage? I use I, one in my toddler's room. Okay. That doesn't count. I have the Meraki uh, your, cameras. Your part. <laughs> this guy's life is already easier. Yes, Malcolm, how about you? Yeah, not, none for me. No. Not yet, but we're going to convert you. That's yeah, the plan, right? Just a matter of time. <laughs> so the, the whole reason we've made it an easier, simpler security camera is you don't need anything other than the camera. There are no servers. There's no NVR networks video recorder. There's no VMS video management server. There's no DVR digital video recorder. It's just the camera itself. So where do you keep the, the, the video feed? Where do you think we keep it? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> the big reveal. Dun, dun, dun. Inside the camera? Yes. That oh. doesn't is not necessarily obvious, though, because Meraki is known for cloud, right? So everyone's like, oh, you put the video in the cloud. That's how you get rid of the servers. But, uh, you know, that doesn't work. Uh, it doesn't work because when you have hundreds or thousands of cameras, this becomes like a really sizable bandwidth problem and now i know you guys are probably happy about that because you can serve on some great pipes uh, <laughs> up in canada but for for lots of people it's a real challenge to get that bandwidth or it's just really expensive so to try and get rid of the boxes but also make a system that was like obtainable because you weren't constrained by bandwidth we had to put the storage in the camera uh, and so what we've done is take the latest advances in the mobile phone industry, like all the latest hardware from uh, the Android phones, essentially. And so we've put 256 gig of storage in the camera, but it also does all the analytics and other things in the camera, including machine learning. And that's why we're wow. not really calling it a security camera. We're calling it a smart camera because you can do more things with it than just security. But it's wow. not insecure now that you've removed that part of the name, right? Uh, no, I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's like... It's uh, secure enough in itself that you can just call it a smart camera. Yeah, I mean, okay. I, I, I'll take a show of hands from the table. How many people want to know about some of the security things in our smart camera? I, I would like to know. I'm raising my hand. You just can't see it. <laughs> the, the reason I ask is it's, it's an interesting topic because most of the people making camera buying decisions are physical security people. So they know about locks and doors and keys and like bulletproof glass, but they don't know anything about certificates or like HTTPS or doing that type of thing correctly. So they typically aren't making good decisions on that. Uh, while IT teams and uh, us at Cisco really get this and we understand the importance. And you see the IoT space and those things like cameras becoming this really big attack vector for people trying to get into your network. Uh, any of you guys come across the mirror botnets of like a few years ago? It's like huge distributed denial of service botnet, which was cameras <laughs> because they were so poorly secured. So on the, the Meraki camera side, we put a ton of work into that. Uh, so here are some of the examples. Uh, all the storage is encrypted. We use AS256 bit. The first time you turn on your camera, it'll encrypt its storage volume. So it won't record for about a minute or so. And then after that, all your storage is encrypted, zero config. All you have to do is turn it on. So you can't have unencrypted storage. It's not a thing. Um, we only ever send media uh, over the network, both either locally or remotely, using HTTPS. So you can't have transport of your media, which is unencrypted. But this is one of those really beautiful things where good security makes it easier for people. And I think that's rare. What do you guys think? Like, how often do you think security? You think it's simpler for a normal user? Very rarely, if ever. definitely not in my experience. <laughs> yeah, they don't normally go hand in hand. And the reason we've been able to do this is what happens is when a camera comes online for the first time out of a factory, 
uh, we see this come online and we go to a global certificate authority, in this case, DigiCert, and we buy a certificate for every camera. So this oh, way, wow. the cameras can sign um, their, their own traffic and we don't have to put our like super precious Meraki private keys onto like a small camera that's at the edge of the network. And so not only do you get HTTPS everywhere, but there's no self-signed certs. Don't need those. Mm -hmm. No browser warnings saying you've got mixed content. We're not going to load it. Uh, you don't have to manage your own cert authority. Wow, there's way too many selfies going on here. Simon, <laughs> put that away. Uh, but your cert authority is a global CA. It's in the root trust of all your browsers. So you just get secure video and it makes it easier because you don't have to install any certs or any of that nonsense. So it's, it's super big. So how much video can you store on that camera? Good question. It's sort of like how long is a piece of string style of question. How, uh, long, how long is a piece of string? As long as you want it to be. Ah, smart. It I depends like how much you pay for. You, you've been asked, <laughs> you've been asked this before. This got really deep, man. Yeah, I, I try not to be too philosophical in this session. Uh, the 256 gig of storage is like a loop. So it's cameras constantly recording until it's full and then it throws the oldest footage away and puts new footage in. And you can adjust how long it stores by changing the qualities of the bit rate or the frame rate of the video, which is like pretty standard. But what do you want to store even longer? Well, this is where we can start using the smarts of the camera. Uh, one of the things that's quite common in the industry is this thing called motion-based recording. Any of you familiar with that? Yes. If you move, it starts recording, <laughs> something like that? Yeah, so what it does is it re it's recording video from the camera sensor into a RAM, into like a memory buffer. And it's constantly going. And when it sees a trigger, like someone walks in, then it's like, aha, this could be useful. Take this, write it to disk. And so it starts writing it to disk. And it has like a 20 or 30 second memory buffer to do that. Problem is, the detection of like something of interest is not foolproof. <laughs> Nothing, none of these are like 100% guaranteed. So we had a great example a customer told us about where they had a sprinkler system activate at nighttime and flood their office. And the water droplets were too small to trigger the recording. Ooh. And so that was like, they wanted to know at what point in the night their office got destroyed and they had nothing. So oh. they, they, they turned off their motion-based recording. So we do something else. We do motion-based retention which is like a flip of this. And so we record everything all of the time and we do analytics all of the time. And then after three days, so 72 hours, use the analytics metadata to go back and remove footage with nothing in it. So rather than like this potential 20 second buffer and it has to detect it, you've got a three day buffer of everything. And then you go back and, and use it. And with that, you can extend your footage like drastically. Uh, sometimes by like double or treble what the original value was, depending on how much motion you see. But the cool thing is you will know because we have that analytics data for the past week. So we tell you, we predict what next week will be based on the last week of data. So you're not turning it on blind, you turn it on and we're like, oh yeah, you're going to get 74 days. And like, oh, that's, that's what I want. So. There you go. So, so George, how how has the product evolved? Because it's been has it, have the camera uh, products have been out for a couple of years now. Is it? Yeah. I think so how is it how has it evolved, and uh, what do you see? Uh, where do you see it going in the future? Hooks into you know the DevNet side of things and all that. Yeah, yeah. We launched the camera a few years ago, and at that time we had a camera with 128 gig of storage, and it had uh, a processor in which was good, but it it wasn't like super powerful. And so what's happened in that space of time is the 
mobile phone industry has essentially delivered our dreams. <laughs> like all of you, thank you very much for buying the smartphones uh, that you have in your pocket. But that has driven this like incredible pace of innovation for higher density memory, higher endurance memory, miniaturization, and increased performance of embedded systems. And so this generation of cameras that we have now, they can store much, much longer, they have much higher quality video, and they can do things like machine learning in the camera because the processor is powerful enough. So it's actually based on a Qualcomm Snapdragon. Uh, again, show of hands. Anyone heard of a Snapdragon? <laughs> yes, a few hands. Like, it's in your mobile phone if you have an Android phone, most likely. And so that power is being used in now an enterprise class product. Now, the machine learning piece is really interesting because it's this sort of magical topic that everyone thinks is going to solve every problem under the sun, but we want to make it achievable. And so to do that, you don't need a server because we come across all these great science projects and you have like this big server full of GPUs, it costs a fortune, you can never deploy it at scale. So if we do it in the camera and we do something a bit more achievable, which is object detection, object tracking, and object classification of people, we can give you a lot of data. And then this is where like the DevNet story and the future story around APIs integration comes into play. So we make the access of that metadata very easy, but then you build the specific business application you want with that information. And so the camera is really evolving to this idea where it's a sensor. If you think about all the things that it's doing, essentially it's collecting information about the physical world. And when you can use machine learning to infer different things in it, then you can sort of use it for sensing different things. And the, the, the most exciting interface to me is the MQTT interface. Any of you super familiar with MQTT? No. So Matt is, he was just nodding. <laughs> Matt, have you been using this? Um, I've been teaching it for the entire week. Uh, Good job. And uh, I'm going to plug my DevNet Express program, uh, if you guys don't mind. But uh, we make that part of um, all of the learning and training materials that we provide through DevNet to tie into all the APIs, including the camera APIs. And one of those is a learning lab that ties into the MQTT stream and is able to actually pull that content out. We, It's not as, uh, as uh, complicated as uh, what... George is going to talk about in a minute, I'm sure, uh, but is able to uh, go down the path of taking that content out and putting it into a Python application. Um, and I actually saw some cool demos this week uh, that take that content from the live stream, put that through some um, it, some uh, cloud-based um, AI artificial intelligence services that are able to take those uh, data streams and then the pictures that, that the camera can take and uh, evaluate the, the snapshot uh, API awesome. service, yeah. Well, do right. you want to give us like an overview of MQTT, like that 60 second, what is it, so that we get everyone on the same page? Yeah, so it's a, it's a lightweight uh, data transport model that allows for an application to subscribe to a service of data that's being streamed through a, a, a data bus broker. And so uh, the camera itself ends up uh, spitting out um, all of its information to the, the broker that you register with the, with the camera, and um, then you can uh, put an endpoint service on there to do basically whatever you want based on the, the that data stream of uh, being able to identify a person, and uh, I believe it's identify a person and identify light changes. Are there any other data points that come out of that? So the, those, the two main ones today is you can get the lux level, so the light level of right now. So for example, you want to control the lighting in your 
room or your office or your home based on how bright or dark it is. You have that information to now control your smart lighting. Uh, but the core one is, as you were talking about the people, being able to look at all of that data, you get coordinates where people are. And this is very fast. It's four to five hertz, so like sub 250 millisecond updates and with pixel level precision. So you can then do some super fun things. Uh, I think the, the demo I love showing is we have a video of a hackathon in our office. And one of the engineers built this system where you could play a piano by running around. And so he... Like in Big! <laughs> I've not seen this film. <laughs> okay. Oh, no. Yeah. We're going to have to introduce you to that All Tom right. Hanks okay, classic. Right, let's, let's stop this podcast <laughs> okay. now. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Uh, so basically, he uses the camera to track where he is. And then he sets different parts of the the real world as different keys on the piano. And as he walks up and down, he can play scales on the piano. And this isn't like a Cisco, um, like a Microsoft Kinect or something designed to track people. This is your security camera that's got smarter, which is, uh, to me, the coolest thing. But the, poten the potential behind that is is enormous, like to be able to yeah. track like really in detail and be able to to react based on what you see. Like and and do you have do you have any like specific business use cases that that can leverage this integration uh, where you're going to target specific customers or anything like that? Yeah, I, and the one that everyone's like, oh, I can do people counting. I'm like, yeah, but that's not very <laughs> exciting. So I'll give you like a, a more detailed, more nuanced one where the precision of its location accuracy is important. And uh, this comes from quick service retail customers and uh, sorry, quick service restaurant customers. So one of the things that is always quite impactful is potential employee fraud in your workplace. And one of the areas this comes up is very low level uh, fraud, which occurs when staff do refunds when there is no customer. So they refund a coffee or they refund a sandwich or something small. And when you have thousands of transactions an hour, it's really hard to tell that that wasn't a genuine refund. And you're trying to make that process like the customer process as fast and efficient as possible. So like adding lots of steps in to slow that down is, is not good for your business. And so the insight that they these customers want is, did someone process a refund when there was no customer physically present at the cash desk? So this is where you need like these new um, certifications that allow people to think about these data sources and create integrations. Because this is not just data from the camera, this is data from the transaction log of the electronic point of sale system where it shows a refund. And then you look at the camera stream and you're like, based on the coordinates, was someone stood in front of that register where the refund was being processed? And you're like, no. What so, if they get one of their friends to stand there though? Well, you don't tell the staff this oh, is how okay. it works. <laughs> okay, guys. So right, if you're working that. for one of these retailers, don't <laughs> listen to this podcast. <laughs> Sorry, go on, my that's, that's security from the source. Yeah. yeah. But I, this is just an example of where you, when you know people's location quite precisely, you can use that with other data sources. I think that's the important thing. Like all of these cool use cases get better the more data sources you combine, you combine with it. I did hear of a use case uh, this week where a uh, company was looking to figure out when a particular device had walked out of that space. So it was actually a combination of uh, two integrations with Meraki, the location scanning uh, uh, API, and then the MV uh, snapshot uh, being able to tell whether or not, um, or actually identify the person who might have uh, swiped the, uh, the laptop, which would have been useful yesterday in the DevNet zone. <laughs>
Go ahead, go ahead. A question for you. Um, when you install camera, usually you don't install one. You have many of them. Yeah. So are they able to interact with each other? Uh, the different, you know, Meraki camera, do they have like a side-by-side interaction? They don't. What type of interaction would you like them to have? I don't know. Mm. If you're tracking someone, for example, yeah. so you see from one camera and goes to another one and yeah. you keep tracking the same person. Yeah, it's almost, so, almost like rec- person recognition. So yeah. if, they, if they go between zones, is it the same person kind of thing? So today, when a camera sees someone, say it sees you and you walk in front of it, it knows that you are an object and it knows you're a person and it will assign you a unique identifier. But it doesn't know it's you you specifically it just knows you're unique and as you walk around in front of it you remain unique unless you get hidden by something like you walk behind a big wall and then you walk out at that point you're another person Uh, and that challenge also occurs if you walk in front of another camera you are another unique id but not the same unique id that was on the camera before it and so today to try and get micro level location awareness cameras meet that goal get macro level location awareness this is where wi-fi fits in and so you can create this like blended data set but what we'd like to do in the future is allow cameras to be able to share a a visual unique identifier between sets of cameras uh so they when you walk in front of another one it can sort of like hand off that identifier the problem is it's really really hard (laughs) like because you look like this now but if i sit where simon is and i look at you I'm looking at a completely different angle and you look completely different from a camera's perspective. And so that's a very challenging computer vision and machine learning problem that isn't easily possible today, even with very powerful servers. And so it's going to take a fair bit of time before we get there uh, when it comes to doing it all inside a camera. But that's sort of the type of thing that I'd love to be able to do in the future. Mm So what about this uh, this demo that, that uh, has been going around this week with the uh, with this VR headset? Tell us about that and how it ties into the the camera it works with. So I, let's let's just confirm I am talking about the right demo. This is the VR keynote demo that happened on Tuesday. Yeah, absolutely. At Cisco Live in June 2019. <laughs> yes, yes. In case people Thank are you. listening to this <laughs> in the future. So I have a, a secret little surprise here. Ooh. You're giving us a pony? Oh, never mind. This is going to be the world's first VR demo. I have the demo right here. <laughs> Audio VR demo. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I, I have Very an virtual. Oculus Rift S in my hands for everyone listening because we have no video. Uh, and uh, yeah, we did a live onstage VR demo. And if you're a technical person listening to this and anyone asks you to do it, say no because it's very stressful. <laughs> Wait, so you're saying that demos don't always work perfectly when they're live? I don't understand. They do. The thing is... Uh, it's never ever been a problem with a live demo. Yeah. So the thing is, it works beautifully, and it's like super reliable, but it's not meant to work in an auditorium of 15,000 people with like the most amazing light show you can imagine that sort of kicks it all off. So for, for those of you not there, it was just... Actually, someone else should describe this because I, I was just so, so so in the moment. Who who was in the keynote and saw like the the opening sequence with all the lights and yeah, that was yeah. nice. Yeah, it's like nice. a pyrotechnic, like crazy lighting and sound. It's just designed to be a, a sort of very 
monumentous experience. You can definitely find videos of it online anyway. Yeah, it's it's very sense. rock concerty. Yes. So yes, green green lasers, if I remember correctly. So the, the the issue with this is VR headsets are designed to be used in your living room, not in an auditorium with fifteen thousand people and huge crazy light shows. And so the poor Oculus has a it sort of freaks out essentially <laughs> <laughs> when you. The, the new Oculus Rift S is really awesome because you don't need these uh, pods which help triangulate where it is. It does it using cameras because, you know, cameras are the answer to everything. And so if you look on here, we've got camera on the top and on the sides and on the front. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so it's, we're looking at an Oculus Rift and there's lots of cameras. Yeah, lots of camera lenses all over it. The thing is, it tracks where it is using the things it can look at. But when you have a super crazy light show with like laser beams and all that stuff, <laughs> the poor cameras on it are like, oh, I'm somewhere else. And so it, it, it restarts. It's like, it a cat with a laser dirt, like a cat with a laser pointer. Yeah. And the poor, the poor little thing. Just like that. The poor little <laughs> exactly. thing gets a little upset. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, you, you had to, we had to recalibrate it just before uh, Todd did the demo. And for those of you who weren't there... This is live streamed VR from the latest uh, camera model we've released, which is the MV32. So 360 degree fisheye camera. And the VR component of it is in every one of them. And it doesn't cost any extra. And you can do it on your phone. Or you could do it on like the Oculus Go, which is the lowest cost Oculus option. And we officially support the Oculus sort of family of VR headsets uh, to immerse yourself in that location. The thing I like on it is you've got this fisheye view of the world but then you you i think the term you use george is you de-warp it so that it looks like you're you're, you're essentially simulating what people would look for in a pan tilt zoom camera right yeah you so we have this circ, circular image and then we de-warp it and project it onto a hemisphere but on the inside of that and then we put you inside the hemisphere and you're now looking at essentially all the walls of the hemisphere from the inside but that has the video mapped onto it which has been stretched to fit it so you're giving us all samples right to try um all right in the future (laughs) (laughs) jonathan you said we said no walker questions laura Oh, okay. So I actually had a question on that demo, if anyone uh, does get the chance to see it. So Todd had the headset on, and he was kind of leaning back and forward to zoom through that. Um, Being that I'm part of DevNet, I'm always curious to the integration point there. Um, Were APIs used to to trigger the zoom, or was there some special mechanics behind the scenes? No, it's the fact that you're physically inside this hemisphere. You're Ah, getting closer to the wall of the hemisphere which has the video projected on it, and now you're physically closer inside the virtual, the world, virtual world to okay. that wall that is bigger. Okay. It's, 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 it's really trippy. Because if you walk, you can walk outside and look at it from the outside of the hemisphere <laughs> inwards. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> it's definitely the first product we've launched that I think we could describe as really trippy. I think was the phrase there. I think we've had a couple of existential uh, comments come out of this. Uh, <laughs> George just told me that at one point I'm me here, and then I'm a different person when the camera sees me later. So that was that kind of freaked me out. <laughs> I, I think the thing that I am most excited about, and I'm very grateful we managed to get the demo working because it is so fun, and you don't have to choose to pick VR for a security camera, and it, it works. But when I think about keynotes, I think about you're looking at the future. It's not something you can have today, right? I mean, am I wrong here? It's, no, 
anyone else feel that, that way? Yes. Okay. I mean, one one of the questions I had as well is um, when when you were uh, so obviously this was is a slightly different track for mm-hmm. Meraki, so start evolved from wireless to switching to security system, uh, device management, etc. When the strategy was uh, being talked about to uh, bring the cameras into the portfolio, you obviously had an idea of where you wanted to take it. Mm. Has that changed significantly to where we are now and where we're going? I wouldn't say no, it hasn't. I think the thing that is most rewarding about working at Meraki is you have an incredibly talented creative engineering team. And your aim as a product manager is not to tell them what to build. It's to give them problems of high value to solve. And if you do that, you don't end up with the same thing as everyone else because they go and build the things that no one has seen before. And so things like motion recap, motion search, native VR on your security camera. Engineers like building cool stuff, Uh, (laughs) especially the really good ones we have at Meraki. And my mission is to enable them to go and solve the customer problems a better way by giving them the problems worth solving, not telling them what they should do. So the product has basically evolved based on customer feedback. Yeah, the customer customer problems. So the 360 camera was customers want to buy less cameras. I mean, that breaks my heart as a product manager for cameras, but they don't want to buy so many. So if you imagine a, a corridor intersection in a school, teachers or security guards want to look down each leg of that, and you need four cameras, unless you have a camera which sees down all of them at the same time. And so having a 360 camera allows them to do that, buy less cameras, less cable runs, less switch ports, faster install. And so that's a really compelling sort of solution to that problem. But then we can also unlock all these other cool functions. There's also that thing which uh, which, which we kind of very easy to take for granted because we've been talking about it for so long. But uh, the way we've solved the problem of boxes that we don't need anymore with this uh, with this cloud architecture. The same thing we did originally with wireless, eliminating the wireless controllers. We've essentially performed the same trick here with the cameras, right? Yeah. Uh, it's almost a shame we've added so many other things because now the sort of lack of boxes is just like an afterthought <laughs> for us working on it because we did that a while back. But it's actually probably one of the highest value immediate monetary saving things if you decide to pick up the camera. Now, looking looking forward to the future, what are some features you would like to see uh, or what different idea you would like to see being integrated to that to those cameras? I love that everyone asks me this question. And I'm like, is this not good enough? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please, can I get a break? <laughs> Have we not built something exciting enough? Uh, but future-wise, I want us to be able to have... Uh, more analytics from the camera based off machine learning and to build out a greater set of APIs and give more access to the capability in the camera so that you can customize solutions for your customers or you can customize the particular use of the cameras in, say, pharmaceutical. I had a, a pharmaceutical customer that wanted it to like take a picture of um, sort of a certification process where... Uh, someone had to go check a particular part of the production line and so on. So enabling more uh, bespoke use cases while keeping it simple, while not adding any other boxes and uh, enabling people to use like the, the sort of the latest thinking around API development and scripting and automation. That's, that's the thing that's really exciting for me. And 
having a few more models. So we're still a relatively young product line. We have a few different models. Uh, but if you look at say, our wireless portfolio, we have like a lot of different variants to meet different needs. We'll have more variants to suit more customer needs. All right. Well, on that note, since we're not yet in the future, I want to thank you all. This has been really fantastic. And uh, for those of you listening remotely, because that'll be everyone, uh, I hope you are able to subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And I hope you have a fabulous day. Thanks.